Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. evening we're going to be in 1st Kings 12 and well last time we saw um, the, the scripture that recorded King Solomon's death and today we're going to look at King Solomon's son Rehoboam how his actions divide the nation of Israel 2nd Chronicles 10 and 11 have the same parallel account as 1st Kings 12 so verse 1 it says now Rehoboam went to Shechem for all Israel had gone to Shechem to make him king King Solomon's son Rehoboam goes to Shechem after the death of his father so he could be coronated. Shechem is some 40 miles north of Jerusalem in the tribe of Manasseh. And it does seem that the northern tribes had become disaffected, disgruntled, and this probably was uh, King Rehoboam's way of reaching out to them as well. We're going to hear about Rehoboam and Jeroboam. Okay, So I'm going to try to keep those two separate. <laughs> Rehoboam was the son of King Solomon who became the succeeding king of the north of the southern kingdom and Jeroboam was the servant under King Solomon who God prophesied would become king of the northern kingdom. Now that we got that straight. Verse 2, So it was when Jeroboam the son of Nebat heard it, he was still in Egypt, for he had fled from the presence of King Solomon and had been dwelling in Egypt, that they sent and called him, then Jeroboam and the whole congregation of Israel came and spoke to Rehoboam, saying, Your father made our yoke heavy, made it hard. Now therefore lighten the burdensome service of your father and his heavy yoke, which he put on us, and we will serve you. So Jeroboam is called back because Solomon was angry and he wanted to kill him. So Jeroboam flees to Egypt. He's called back by the Israelites. And together they petitioned the new king Rehoboam to lighten the burden caused by King Solomon. Now, the things that they protested was, uh, it was burdensome. It was high taxes. There was forced labor. And the people were growing weary of it. Um, 1 Samuel 8, the prophet, the prophet Samuel warned God's people. He basically told them, I want a theocracy. I want to rule over you as a father to his children and... The children of Israel looked at all the other nations and oh, they liked the idea of the king. He was kind of whimsical, romantic, I guess, whatever. I'm kind of speaking for them here. Um, but Samuel said that a king would bring all these things, high taxes, forced labor, and all this other kind of stuff. And, and it's getting worse now under Rehoboam. So basically the people say to Rehoboam, you know, give us a break. We'll be happy to serve you. We'll be loyal to you. But, you, you know, you, it's just a major burden. Um, that we're having to deal with uh, from the royal family, so to speak. Verse 5, So he said to them, Depart for three days, then come back to me. And the people departed. So Rehoboam asked for three days to think about this. Um, I don't think he prayed about it, but he did counsel with a few people. And we'll look at the two groups of people that he counseled with. Verse 6, Then King Rehoboam consulted the elders who stood before his father Solomon while he still lived and said, how do you advise me to answer these people? And they spoke to him saying, If you will be a servant to these people today and serve them and answer them and speak good words to them, 
then they will be your servants forever. Well, it sounds fair enough. Um, the first group of folks that Rehoboam counsels with is the counselors who were there when his father Solomon was the king. And he's basically saying, they're basically saying to him, you know what, downsize a little bit. You know, give, give the people a break and they'll be, they'll be loyal to you. You know, it's funny, even in American culture, uh, even in the American Christian culture, sometimes downsize is a dirty word. And uh, I know I've counseled folks that were living, they were stressed, they were hurried, they were trying to maintain, maintain, and, and you know, in a gentle way, just let them know that maybe their lifestyle is, is getting the best of them. And maybe they could, I tell you what, when you tell, talk to somebody and suggest downsizing, sometimes they get angry with you. You would think that you, that you said something horrible about their children. But, you know, this is what we have to look at sometimes. And this was a big burden to, uh, to the Israelites, and, and something had to give here. And I think what's fascinating is that the counselors were the same men that lived under the lavishness of King Solomon. So the wealth didn't breed happiness. Now, remember in chapter 10, when the queen of Sheba, Sheba comes up north, and, you know, she visits Solomon and his wisdom, and she looks at the wealth and the splendor, and she thinks... And I'm paraphrasing for her. Wow, look at all these people, all your servants. Wow, all the splendor and wealth. It must be wonderful uh, working here. But what she didn't realize is there was an underlying root of bitterness. And Queen Sheba was not a godly woman. At least she wasn't when she came up. Who knows if the, the jury's out on whether she got saved, so to speak, before she went back down south. But she was judging by appearance. She wasn't possessing discernment to seeing things deeper into the people's lives. She just saw the show that Solomon put on for her. And I've said this the last chapter, how, you know, even today we, we do this. If we have company coming up, you know, we clean the house, we make sure the bathroom is clean, we make sure that the kids are behaving, and, and you know, if we have pets, that the pet smell is gone. I mean, it's what we do when we entertain company. Well, Solomon, it was no different, except when he put on a show, boy, did he put on a show. And she was wowed by what she saw. But again, it was all appearances. It was window dressing. So I wonder a few things about Solomon's counselors. Number one, did they know that towards the end, King Solomon was off his rocker, but there was nothing they could do? Number two, did they try to reason with Solomon, but he wouldn't listen? And number three, did they just bite the bullet and stick it out, and hopefully they could talk to his successor and talk some sense into the young successor? You know, I, I wonder these things, and I also try to ask the questions that people normally ask me after I'm done with the teaching. Um, so this is what you have going on right now. In verse 18, here's the other group of folks that King Rehoboam is now talking to. It says, But he rejected the counsel which the elders gave him and consulted the young men who had grown up with him who stood before him. And he said to them, What counsel do you give? How should we answer this people who have spoken to me, saying, Lighten the yoke which your father put on us? Then the young men who had grown up with him said to him, spoke to him, saying, Thus you should speak to this people who have spoken to you, saying, Your father made our yoke heavy, but you make it lighter on us. Thus you shall say to them, My little finger shall be thicker than my father's waist. And now, whereas my father laid a heavy yoke upon you, I will add to your yoke. My father chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scourges. So Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam the third day as the king directed, saying, Come back to me the third day. Then the king answered the people roughly or harshly 
and rejected the counsel which the elders had given him. And he spoke to them according to the counsel of the young men, saying, My father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to your yoke. My father chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scourges. So the king did not listen to the people, for the turn of affairs was from the Lord, that he might fulfill his word, which he had spoken uh, by Ahijah the Shilonite to Jeroboam the son of Nebat. God prophesied that these things would happen. So here's the young guys, you know, he's now, he goes away from the older folks and Rehoboam now counsels with some of his young, maybe blue bloods like him, um, young, inexperienced, sheltered, entitled friends. Uh, you obviously know I have a personal, you know, it was wrong what he did. Um, and they said, you know, we're not going to make any sacrifices. Continue to maintain your standard of living. Continue to do what your father did. You know, you guys, you're going to have to deal with it. I'm the king, you're not. And I have to ask this question to us as believers. Again, it's, to me, it's fascinating that 3,000 years later we can make some incredible applications. First of all, who are our counselors? Think about that. Because we're going to find out that Jeroboam goes to some people too, the guy in the north, and he makes a colossal uh, failure of a mistake. So who are our counselors, brothers and sisters? I mean, there's people that I go to because of their character. And I know they're not always going to tell me what I want to hear. But, but because of their character, I continue to go to them when I have a problem. I'm not going to go to somebody who doesn't have character. I'm not going to go to somebody who's always going to tell me what I want to hear. And this is what Rehoboam did. He listened to you know, this self-aggrandizement you know, from his, his peers about himself instead of going with the wisdom of the older counselors. And of course, it becomes a colossal failure. It's a mistake here. And you know what's really sad? I, I can't help when I read stuff like this, and I always look at our society and their society, but you know, there's a lot of politicians on the federal level living like royalty, and they act as if they care about the poor, as if they're championing the poor. You know, talking about the poor is making a lot of people rich, except for the poor. Like Jesus said, the poor you will always have with you. Why? Because of selfishness, because of greed, because of a lot of reasons. Um, and it, it's really sad. And again, I know wealthy people that started from nothing and, and make a product, and God bless them. There's a lot of very generous, wealthy people. I guess my problem is, that, is, is politicians, you know, and I can see this parallel, getting filthy rich off of the people they're supposed to be serving and deceiving them with their rhetoric. And I did a little study, actually. I played with some numbers. I did a little research on our just federal politicians, you know, both houses and the presidency. And in one year, every year, they take over $100 million just for their salaries from our tax money, okay? Now, when some of them are voted out and they supposedly retire, they get immense pensions they don't, definitely are not on Obamacare. They have, there's no co-pays. Um, it, it is just the, their expense accounts. So even the ones that um, get out of office, then that $100 million figure continues to go up because of the new ones coming in and the old ones going out. We're still paying for them. So um, I just see some things and uh, trends in our society that disturb me because they're spending our money and they don't seem to care. They don't care about waste. Um, this is, oh, there's over, uh, what is it? close to $100 billion in waste already that's been found in the federal government. That's a lot of money. <laughs> so 
You know, I'm just, who am I? I'm nobody. I'm just, this is, it just bothers me, I have to tell you. Um, but here's what's worse. When this kind of behavior happens in religion, and I've been talking about the prosperity gospel, which it's only prosperous to the ones who are preaching, by the way, and it really offends me when these, this ridiculous teaching, actually they purposely go into poor and, some, and a lot of times uneducated neighborhoods, and they tell uh, poor people to pretty much give that pastor, this prosperity pastor, their last dollar so that God could multiply it. And you know what? The only ones getting wealthy are the pastors. You know, they fly into all over the world, and uh, they have these big, these big um, outreaches, and they preach this nonsense so they could collect millions of dollars and then go to the next um, city or poor neighborhood, and it's really offensive. So it's, it's bad when it happens with the ungodly in, in our government structure, but it's worse when it happens supposedly under the umbrella of Christianity. It's not real Christianity, by the way. They're false shepherds. It's kind of interesting how I'm ending up tying this to Daniel 2, and Sunday I'm going to go about the whole history of Daniel and his friends and how the Babylonians came and such. And I find it remarkable that when all the, the nobility was removed from Judah under Nebuchadnezzar, and they were just forcefully taken from this foreign, by this foreign power. All their vineyards and olive groves and homes and stuff, the only people left in Judah were the poor people. So now they actually got to benefit from the, you know, from the ruling class being deported by this invading army, and the poor was left there to pretty much take what they wanted in Jerusalem. So it's, you know, God has a, a really interesting sense of humor sometimes. But, <laughs> but it says that the king answered roughly, um, that can be translated grievously, that can be translated harshly. Uh, and he talks about whips versus scourges. Hey, it's bad enough, if, I've never been whipped, but I've, I've, got, I've gotten stung by you know, something like that, by accident. But to be whipped, and then he's saying, you know, you're, my father had whips, I'm going to beat you with scourges, which is sort of a whip, but with objects, almost like the Roman scourges, so that when they whipped a person, it tore their flesh open, um, more uh, possibility for infection, blood loss, pain, etc. So it's horrible. I, I got news for you. When I'm doing something that's maybe not received well, I'm not mean about it because I know that if it's self-serving, I would actually I would ask nicely. So it's bad enough that he's self-serving, but he's being mean to the people. In addition, hey, you're going to pay the taxes. You're going to like it. You step out of line. You think my father was bad? I'm going to beat you with with scorpions or or scourges depending on the translation, he goes, he goes, my little finger is, is bigger than my father's waist. So you don't know what's coming. Well, what was coming was a divided nation because of his attitude. And it's interesting that his father, King Solomon, in Proverbs, Proverbs 15.1, penned this. It says, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger, and that it did. The people were furious. Um, King David loved his people. King Solomon used his people for his own pleasure. But King Rehoboam hated his people. It only takes a few generations, folks. I mean, we can see this in a, in a country that seems to start off well. We can see this in a family line. We can see this in a ruling class. Um, but it, what's really sad is when, when we see this in a church generation. You know, I mean, I, I can't remember the author, but somebody did a, a a biography on Jim Baker, you know, PTL Ministries, he went to jail, Jessica Hahn, all that stuff. It was all over the news for years. But 
the guy said that Jim Baker was a really good Bible teacher. He was a really honest guy for many years. And he said, I saw when, the ca- when the, they started putting cameras in the church and he was on TV, how things just started to fall. And then it was the money, it was the women, boom, boom, boom. And it's sad because, you know, we have to guard our hearts. We have to pray for our kids. We have to pray for our grandkids. We have to pray for the future of the church, not just this church, but the church, because the statistics are not, not good. And they're not in our favor when you start looking at some of these things. Um, man, applications all over the place. Verse 16, it says that when all Israel saw that the king did not listen to them, the people answered the king saying, what portion do we have in David? We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. To your tents, O Israel. Now see to your own house, O David. So Israel departed to their tents, but Rehoboam reigned, reigned over the children of Israel who dwelt in the cities of Judah. Then King Rehoboam sent Adoram, who was in charge of the revenue, also forced labor. But all Israel stoned him with stones. So one of the king's uh, emissaries, uh, the guy got stoned to death. That's how furious uh, the people were with him and his leadership. And he died. Therefore, King Rehoboam, he panics. He mounts his chariot in haste to flee to Jerusalem, again, where it's safe. So Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. Now it came to pass when all Israel heard that Jeroboam had come back, they sent for him and called him to the congregation and made him king over all Israel, that is the northern tribe. So now you have two kings and a divided nation. There was none who followed the house of David but the tribe of Judah only. And that that actually starts to change in the next few verses. But children of Israel are are livid. They kill Adoram. They stone him to death, which was uh, obviously high treason. But they didn't care. They were furious about, about the way the king treated them. Um, actually, in 2 Samuel 20, when we look at David's restoration after, his, after he defeats, unfortunately, his son Absalom, and he comes back, um, Sheba, who, who is a man, not Queen Sheba, he says this, the same thing. There's this angst in the northern kingdom with Judah. Um, we have no part in David, nor do we have any inheritance in the son of Jesse. Every man to his tent, O Israel. In other words, we're... We don't see you as our leader. We, we're done with you, you know. So what's, what's David and his descendants going to do for us in the north? That was the attitude. Verse 21. And when Rehoboam came to Jerusalem, he assembled all the house of Judah with the tribe of Benjamin. So now Benjamin is added to two tribes against ten tribes in the north. Um, or, or divisions or counties, but they came from a particular bloodline for those that are not uh, very familiar with the scripture. So the, the full nation of Israel was divided into 12 uh, tribes or regions. So you have eight, or say 10 now in the north and two in the south. So he says that he assembles the house of Judah with the tribe of Benjamin, 180,000 chosen men who were warriors to fight against the house of Israel that he might restore the kingdom to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon. But the word of God came to Shemaiah, the man of God, saying, Speak to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, king of Judah, to all the house of Judah and Benjamin, and to the rest of the people, saying, Thus says the Lord, You shall not go up nor fight against your brethren, the children of Israel. Let every man return to his house, for this thing is from me. Therefore they obeyed the word of the Lord and turned back according to the word of the Lord. So the situation starts to escalate. Rehoboam's attitude is, I'll show them. I'm going to get a whole bunch of people, muster them up, and we're going to, we're going to conquer them, and we're going to forcefully 
you know, repatriate them back and make it one kingdom. And again, um, Benjamin now joins Judah, and this was prophesied by the prophet Ahijah, as we saw some time before. So God, through Shemaiah now, now we have a different person, Shemaiah tells King Rehoboam and his forces basically back off. And Rehoboam obeys. Shemaiah was a man of God, but he was also a prophet. I mean, that just was the title. If you spoke, if God spoke to you and then you told the people, whether it was Micah or Jeremiah, or Ezekiel, Isaiah, some they called a minor prophet, some were major prophets. If, if you spoke one word, you were acting in the office of prophet. So this guy, Shemaiah, he speaks to the king. Now remember, in those days, if the king didn't like your message, probably would be a few seconds before the executioner came and cut your head off or killed you in some way. So, you know, sometimes God may call us to be Shemaiahs, to be courageous, to go with a message. It's a godly message. Maybe it's not what the person wants to hear. But to risk our necks, so to speak, to prevent further bloodshed. And here, this guy Shemaiah is amazing. He could have said, God, I'm too scared. I'm not doing it. Some did back then. But he did it. So it's really, again, you see these folks in the Bible, and you see their names maybe once or twice in all of Scripture. But, you know, it doesn't matter. This guy had an amazingly important role. Through him, further bloodshed was averted. And I'm actually surprised that Rehoboam listened to him. Maybe he said it with passion. Maybe he said it with conviction. You know, maybe he said it with a sense of urgency. And brothers and sisters, do people, when we talk about God, do they see our passion? Do they see our urgency? I wonder. They should. Are we believable? Do we speak with authority? I mean, do we go to people and go, well, you know, you should, you should really try to find Jesus. It hasn't done much for me, but um, maybe it'll work for you. That's really not the way to do it. You know what I'm saying? The, the kind of Eeyore evangelistic message. Oh, it's so miserable. I mean, then we should just be quiet and let somebody else do it. But um, I don't know. I've been saved over 20 years, and I still have a, a, a fervor and a passion. Otherwise, I wouldn't be up here, you know what I'm saying? Um, for the Lord and for people to come to the Lord. And if you're here today, I don't know who's, who's at, where at with the Lord, and you don't know the Lord, that's something you need to look into. Because this will determine where you spend all of eternity. So um, I was loved. And when I was co in college and doing things I shouldn't have been doing, and I was in a world, I was loved by men, older men who had come to me. You know, one was a, a summer job at a stair factory. And uh, he actually, the guy passed away. Um, and he gave me this book about prophecy. And one day I went to give it back. And his son said, that was my dad. Uh, and he passed away. And he gave me back the book. He said, my father would want you to have this. I just was so excited to tell his son, your father talked to me during lunch hour. He told me about Jesus. I didn't get it back then. But now I'm saved and I'm in ministry. And I just was so excited because this guy was excited. And he was in his 80s. And, and you know, he was dealing with all us young teenagers. And I tell you, he had conviction. You know? And I tell you, I just, when I got saved, I remembered him. Ah, it all started to come to me now. It made sense. Verse 25. Then Jeroboam... Okay, the guy in the north built Shechem in the mountains of Ephraim and dwelt there. Also, he went out from there and built Penuel. And Jeroboam said in his heart, Now the kingdom of David may return to the house of David. If these people go up to offer sacrifices in the house of the Lord of Jerusalem, 
Then the heart of this people will turn back to their Lord, Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they will kill me and go back to Rehoboam, king of Judah. Paranoia set in a little bit? I mean, then the king took counsel, and it gets worse. And made two calves of gold and said to the people, It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, O Israel, which brought you up from the land of Egypt. And he said, he set up one in Bethel and the other one he put in Dan. Now this thing became a sin for the people went to worship before the, the one as far as Dan. He made shrines in the high places, made priests from every class of people who were not of the sons of Levi, which was against scripture. Jeroboam ordained a feast on the 15th day of the 8th eight, month, like the feast that was in Judah, and offered sacrifices on the altar. So he did it at Bethel, sacrificing to the calves that he had made. And at Bethel he installed the priests of the high places which he had made. So he made offerings on the altar which he had made at Bethel on the 15th day of the 8th month, in the month which he had devised in his own heart. And he ordained a feast for the children of Israel and offered sacrifices on the altar and burned incense. So Jeroboam has this plan. And his plan was to not have time for the, those that he was ruling over in the north to cool down and then say, you know, we should go to Jerusalem. God told us to do this. And then hang out with the Judahites and say, you know what, we love you, we're our brethren. What Jeroboam did was wicked. He tried to separate and keep that division using religion. Now I say that in a negative sense because religion is a powerful motivator and vehicle at times for control. And again, that's bad. I mean, we preach relationship with God. I actually, um, <laughs> I officiated at a funeral and uh, for Vera. Most of you know she sat in like the sixth row there. And uh, yeah, she, um, so I, you know, the, the kids were believers, and, and I said, listen, I'm going to preach the gospel. And the daughter's like, no, you got to go for it. So um, it was really touching. You know, I talked about my relationship with her, and what a, a great lady. And then I started going into, you know, the gospel and what it means. And there was actually clergy here from different denominations. And I said, you know, some of you here are Catholic, some are Baptist, some are Calvary Chapel people, but God's not impressed by that. You either know Christ or you don't know Christ. And that's what relationship is. Because Jesus said, was it Matthew 7, 21 through 23, people will do religious things and they'll come, they'll die and come to heaven and Jesus will say, I never knew you. Who are you? We never had a relationship. And what's the other alternative to heaven? Hell. So, it, it really it depends on a relationship with the Lord. It's not about religion. But religion is used in a lot of ways negatively. And this is one example. He had the, all the accoutrements of religiosity, the shrines, the temples, the, the calves. The, and we might laugh, but how, how do you worship a cow? You know, that's weird. But I've seen people worship statues and bow down and pray to them. And they were made in the likeness of disciples and Jesus and Mary. And that's, God said, don't make raven images and don't worship them. What part of that do we not understand? This is in the Ten Commandments. So like people hear the words of God and they do what they want anyway. And God doesn't appreciate it. And I'm just telling you based on what I read in his word. So Jeroboam starts out good. God blesses him. And then he takes that blessing uh, and he turns the people away from God. And he had, he had fear. He had jealousy. 
had paranoia and all this instead of trusting God. Now again, Rehoboam took counsel, right? The first group, the second group, didn't listen to the wise counsel of the first group, listens to the second group. Now we have Jeroboam, he's also taking counsel, doesn't say with who. I mean, if I was there, I would have said, hey, Jeroboam, look at all that God has given you. What are you, what are you in fear about? No, no, this is a bad idea. Just do what God says. You know, he'll, you honor God, he honors you. But I don't, whoever he counseled with gave him bad advice. And, I mean, he wasn't a dumb man. I mean, didn't he know, didn't he learn from the sacred text that he can't do this? Remember Aaron, Moses' brother, who made a golden calf? Well, he outdid Aaron by 100%. He made two, you know what I'm saying? And he put them in different places. Here are your gods that brought you out of Egypt. Now, what does that mean? Does it mean that the people actually worship the cow? No, it doesn't. Nobody's seen God. So what would happen, whether it was pagans or, or carnal believers, they would make an image of something that represented something that gave them and protected them. And the cow gave them milk, it gave them meat, it gave them skin, it gave them um, fertility. So they would say, well, we don't know what God looks like, but here's the representation, just worship him. Um, and in place of God, and of course, that's, um, that's grievously sinful. Um, you know, this is what we have here. By the first century, the woman at the well, remember John chapter 4? Jesus is sitting with this woman at the well. Fast forward several centuries, and she's a Samaritan woman, and her theology is way off. Her religion is way off, and it started here. She was a product of this generation of this, this false religion. And you know, even people today, they're in cults or they're in some pseudo-Christianity, and it's because their parents and their grandparents were in it. Listen, think for yourself. You know, I mean, I've got to stand before God on my own. I can't say, well, because my grandfather told me to do this. When we become adults, we have to seek out God on our own. We don't get a defense attorney, a, you know, a, a guidance counsel. If we're in Christ, we have Jesus and says, I already paid for their sins, a free pass into heaven. But anything other than that, we have to think for ourselves. I mean, this is a classic example of dualism. You know, my way, your way, and, and you hear this. God was definitely not a coexist type of person. Like you see those bumper stickers, anyway is fine. No, it's not. That's called dualism. It's called pluralism. It's Jesus said there's one way and it's through me. God said that there was one way. Um, yeah, 3,000 years later, wow. <laughs> 2015, we're still dealing with a lot of the same stuff. So, what did he also do? If you're, if you're a priest, you're from the Levitical line. He just took anybody and said, oh, I'll make you a priest. Here, wear this. You know, do this. Wave some incense. You're a priest. No, not, not so. Um, he changes the feasts. He makes them on the same day. He's now competing with what's going on in Jerusalem. And there's people today that they, they'll tell you, oh, I have my own relationship with God. Okay, but is it founded on God's word? Because you can't tell God, well, this is how I'm going to have a relationship with you and you're going to like it. It doesn't work like that. I mean, if we did that with people, if we did that with a spouse, we'd be divorced, right? You know, if we did that with our kids, eventually they get out of the house and never call us again. So why do we think that we can do this? And I don't mean those of us who are saved. Why do people think they can do it with God? They, they don't take liberties with the physical sciences. They don't take liberties with uh, relationships with people they love on this earth. But they take liberties with God. Makes no sense. So a few things that I'd like to take away from 
when I do these studies. Number one is it was selfishness and pride that led to the division of Israel. Rehoboam, his decisions were disastrous. And, you know, 2015, I can look at situations in my life where selfishness and pride got me in trouble. I mean, we're human beings, right? I mean, are we so prideful that we can't take correction? You know, I, I, a few, few Sundays ago, I talked about a 15-year-old. He, he works in our sound booth. He's not here tonight, but he, I was talking about a battle from the pulpit. When I got down, he corrected me, and he was right. And we fixed it on the, on the website, and you know, I came up next Sunday, and his father was sitting there, and I told everybody, yeah, this 15-year-old kid, boy, not only was he paying attention, but you know, I, I talked too fast, and I, I overstepped what I should have, and it wasn't a big deal. It just was two, two, two different armies. But um, his father said, that was one of the proudest moments in my life. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, we got to be correctable. And I think the more we, we have humility, the more God will use us. When we start to get prideful, then he starts to pull away from us because he can't use us. Because we're too filled with ourselves. That we can't be filled with the Holy Spirit. Oh, see, two. Well, there was, so there was pride and selfishness, then there was greed and selfishness. This was a, a lifestyle that, that Rehoboam and his buddies, they wanted to continue to live. And maybe they wanted even more stuff. So that he said, you think my father was bad? I'm going to make it worse on you. And the people were like, we can't take it anymore. And they split. But, I mean, I look at ministry too. Ministry is not a place where we get to as, um, I don't know, pastors, elders, whatever, ministers, reverends, whatever you want to call it. We don't get to a place where now we start to parasite off of people. That's not ministry. Um, and again, you can see parallels in the, in the world. How many cults are there? Again, religion is a powerful motivator. It's a powerful method of controlling the masses. But that's not what God's set up for. And people come to me and, and I tell them a pastor, and they go, I don't like religion. I usually reply, well, I don't like religion either. And they're like, what? What do you mean you're a pastor? Hey, let's talk. You know, let's talk about Jesus. You know what I'm saying? I don't want to talk about religion. Um, three, lastly, is this is a great lesson for anybody considering leadership in the world and leadership in the church. Really, really good lessons. And cause, because of, you know, it's, it's a tragedy if we don't learn from somebody else's disasters that we have to make our own disasters to learn something. I want to leave you with Ecclesiastes 2.18. Now remember, uh, King Solomon, is, he, he passed away, he died. But not long before he died, I'm going to guess, he wrote this portion of Ecclesiastes. And this is, now he's speaking about, really he's prophetically speaking about Rehoboam, his son. But in 2.18, Ecclesiastes 2.18 through 23, the king who did all these projects, who, who had so much gold and so much lavishness towards the end of his life, he actually starts to say, you know what, this is nothing without God. He's actually depressed, disappointed. But verse 18, he says, Then I hated all my labor in which I had toiled under the sun, because I must leave it to the man who will come after me. Now he's pondering this, you know? And who knows whether he will be a wise man or a fool, yet he will rule over all my labor in which I toiled and which I have shown myself wise under the sun. This also is vanity. A lot of eyes there, by the way. Therefore I turned my heart and despaired of all the labor in which I had toiled under the sun. For there is a man whose labor is with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, yet he must leave his heritage to a man 
who has not labored for it, this also is vanity and a great evil. For what has man for all his labor and for the striving of his heart with which he has toiled under the sun? For all his days are sorrowful and his work grievous. Even in the night of his heart takes no rest. This also is vanity. Hmm. A lot of lessons there. I mean, I think we should be few lessons we should be happy with what our portion is even in ministry some just they strive to it's bigger and bigger and add this and add. it's like are you just not satisfied with what the lord gave you and then it becomes unmanageable and sometimes it'd be a behemoth and a problem you know i mean let's enjoy what god has given us the manageable port portion that he has assigned to us and, and as leaders to have a servant's heart jesus had servant leadership the night before he was going to be tortured to death, he washed his disciples' feet and he gave them an example to be humble, to always be willing to take correction, to love the people we serve enough to not cause a chain of events because of our behavior that causes division. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.